What's up, humans? Welcome to the Human Music Podcast. I'm Luke Rain. My co-hosts are Tesco and Rip Kinney, and we are all music producers, artists, and producer coaches. This show is where we discuss all things music production and interview amazing creatives about their origins, their process, and whatever else comes up. This week is episode 101, Luke Rain and the Connectivity of Music. That's right, we've passed 100 episodes and it's time that you all hear the full superhero origin story of yours truly, Luke Rain, aka Trap Jesus. Hear about my first musical influences and instruments, how I started out producing, rapping, and throwing shows in Seattle, how I started traveling and building my musical community, the moments that shifted me away from rapping towards production and engineering, how I found producer Dojo and how I became Trap Jesus and then became Luke Rain all over again and what my current plans are with my music. The song of the week is Katanas by Luke Rain. It's my first release on the Dojo label, a nice left field based joint. The links for that are down there in the description. And while you're down there, check out our sponsors, Dojo TV, where you can get free producer livestream classes from the producer Dojo senseis and join the Discord chat with a whole bunch of cool producers like you. Tesco's Patreon, where you can get educational content, Discord, track feedback, private lessons, and more. The weekly download, where you can learn from Ill Gates and his private weekly group lessons and get access to probably damn near 300 episodes in the archive by now for only 20 bucks a month. And guest practices, where you can learn from the best engineer we know, Seth Drake, over there at the Approach Institute. Your first class is free. Hit up thehumanmusicpodcast.com for more episodes, socials, free sound packs, etc. But until then, let's just get on into this episode with me. Hello, people of Earth. This is Tesco with Rip Kenny and Trap Jesus. And you're listening to the uh, Human Music Podcast. Woo! Hmm. Human Music Podcast. I like it. Ah, I'm camera Woo! shy. We're gonna do it live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up, Dojo TV? V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V V it's been a minute. Yeah, we've, we've been, been the episodes coming, but for us, it's been a minute. Yeah, all the episodes keep coming out because we really hustled in January doing a lot of interviews. But then I dipped all the way out of life <laughs> for a hot minute and went to Mexico and Guatemala, which is badass. Did absolutely zero music production, but did a lot of acoustic jams and playing hand percussion instruments and even a little guitar. <laughs> wow. Sounds very nice, actually. Yeah, a lot of hanging in the sun, a bit What's of hanging Jake? in the mountains. Not uh, not dying from volcanoes or earthquakes. I didn't do any of that. That's Nearly. good. That's Missed good. a big earthquake, earthquake in Guatemala by about six hours. And, uh, oh, bad. Like a six point something, like fairly big. Yeah, mm. that's enough to make some noise and shake some stuff off the shelves for for damn sure yeah and then me and my friend Mikaela got there like 
you know, that day. So we knew there had been an earthquake. And then we get to where we're going at night in this little town in the mountains. And as soon as you go to sleep, the volcano up the hill starts loudly erupting over and over and over again. And we're like freaking out, like, oh, we're going to die. And we like go outside and we watch it and realize like nobody else in the world <laughs> in the whole town is freaking out. And just like, I don't know, that's like two whole hills away. It doesn't seem to be that much lava now that I'm looking at it. <laughs> it's like impressive <laughs> amounts of lava flying in the air every nine seconds or whatever, every few minutes. <sighs> but like, not like enough to wake anybody else up, even though it's loud as shit. So I think this is probably huh. just what these townsfolk live in all the time. <laughs> That's crazy, though, because you assume like if lava is spouting into the air, that there's like a chance that that could escalate into a lot of lava, right? You don't. Yeah. I'm no scientist, but I'm pretty sure if something's erupting, that means the activity is above normal and therefore could result in unexpected it'd be endings. what i found out from staying there the rest of that whole week was that'd be like when a plane flies over the city there mm -hmm. is a chance that it could crash into the city true but when that happens over and over all day every day and none of them crash into the city eventually mm. you start ignoring them which actually yeah. is very fast you just very quickly ignore the airplanes that fly overhead because they're just like, I mean, so yeah, it's technically a potential disaster that could happen. Yeah. But, you know, what am I going to do? Definitely Live my helps. whole life with planes flying over every 10 minutes, just freaking, oh, my God. Right? Like, no, nah, it's yeah. just Southwest. Yeah. Like, it's okay. So this Definitely is a, helps when everybody else isn't freaking out, too. Yeah. So I mean, this is a classic example of the volcano that erupted Wolf. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah and okay. oh, the best part about that sentence is that it was the full moon that night. So okay. part of the reason we were freaking out is because every dog, cat, and rooster was howling at the full moon. Like, so there's this cacophony of sounds outside, like every type of animal and the volcano just erupting. And we're like, oh, and there was an earthquake today. Clearly, this is the end. Somebody's going to find us huddled like Pompeii volcano victims when they excavate this site in a couple thousand years it's a nice <laughs> like, thought to be thinking life while like? you're trying to relax on vacation yeah yeah we got to laugh you're about gonna be the next later. pompeii uh the, people hugging the next morning at breakfast everybody in the family we were staying with is like oh so you guys get scared of the volcano yeah they know we had to go outside and watch it for a while to make sure it wasn't going to kill us. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that I, was fun. I mean, seeing lava, I mean, I don't think that's something that a lot of people in their lives could say that they've done. Uh, that's, that's pretty cool regardless. Yeah, I hadn't. And I was just like stand there and brush my teeth and like watch the shit erupt. <laughs> and then we moved down the hill a few blocks to my friend Taya's spot um, and uh she her rooftop had an even better closer view of the volcano good and we had some like on uh it was actually on her birthday we had just got back from this whole like birthday party at her friend's restaurant and we go like hey let's you know stand up here just watch the volcano for a bit see if it happens to go off and then like two minutes later just boom Wham! the biggest one that we saw it was amazing it was that's really awesome cool. <laughs> yeah super Damn, dude, that's awesome yeah, and that's just one tiny slice of the almost five weeks I was traveling. Um, well, we have a lot to catch up on and a lot to uh, 
you know, talk about as far as recent events. But I guess uh, let's bring it back even further, eh? And let's uh, let's have a trap Jesus episode, and let's let's dive a little deeper into your story before before, and we'll work our way up to this recent vacation. Yeah, and, sounds uh, good. Get into all of the uh, volcano stories and more. Yeah, we're doing a Luke Rain slash Trap Jesus origin episode. Mm, yes. <laughs> Everyone loves a good flashback. Yeah. Exactly. It's the context you need. Yeah. Oh, p- get your pen. Get your pen, man. There's my pen. That was a very loud pen drop. When they say when they say that thing like, oh, it's so quiet in here, you could hear a pin drop. You it could have been loud in there. I still would have heard that. I'm pretty a sure pen? it's a pin. P-I-N, pin, drop. Oh. Okay, you know, let's make it, make it more, more sense. sense. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just That's say granite? <laughs> have you thought the whole time it was taken for granite? Yeah, you want what me to wipe What are you, a rock person? <laughs> you want me to wipe that from your memory? Womp. <laughs> <Bomp. laughs> uh, yo, uh, yeah, so my superhero origin story, I guess we could take it back to like, five-year-old luke actually no i'm gonna take it back to three-year-old birthday i got given a harmonica that i never learned to play because huey lewis was my favorite music artist at the time if y'all know huey lewis like do you believe in love and working for a living and hip to be a square all those 80s blue collar hits fucking jams Uh, And he rocked out on the harmonica. So when I was a little kid, I wanted a harmonica. I never actually learned to play a harmonica, like, at all. Um, Except, you know, the classic little kid just, just sliding it back and forth, mushing your lips. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, There's video. There's video on some old cassette video VHS of me mushing my lips back and forth, happy as a clam on that that third birthday party. Would you you rather listen to someone with no talent at all play the harmonica or the recorder? Harmonica. Harmonica, yeah. Yeah, because at least least everything on a harmonica is in one key. Yeah, you literally can't get out of key on a harmonica. (laughs) Also, very good point. Why recorder, Jake? I just got to ask real quick. Um, Yeah, Secret Guest has a dissenting opinion. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so you got into uh huey lewis you said yeah huey lewis was my first musical influence um you know of course aside from like raffi or tickle tune typhoon uh (laughs) but yeah huey lewis is my first very cool names uh raffi is like quintessential kids music like songs about learning the days of the week and things like that monday tuesday Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Boom, boom. The days of the week. Yeah, Bars. Man, fucking wow. slaps, right? Damn, oh, that that <laughs> fill is hard. And then he did it in Spanish. Lunes, martes, miércoles, jueves, viernes, sábado, domingo. Boom, boom. The days of the week. Well, he didn't do the days of the week in Spanish. Los días de la semana. Okay. <laughs> that would have been pretty funny, though. Yeah. I don't know. Either way, it uh, that shit slapped, too. Uh, yeah, and then when I was five, I got a little Casio keyboard that is actually like, still sitting here somewhere. It's in my studio somewhere here. Legendary. Yeah, look, it had the little dog barks and, uh, and the lion and the laser. You ever sample it? Um, nah, but I really should. I've thought about it a bunch. So I always like, every time I think about it, it's like, oh, I don't have a shit ton of AA batteries. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. 
You could circuit bend it too. I'm sure oh, that could be a yeah. sick piece of gear. <laughs> yeah, just circuit bent dog barks. Hell yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. and then, yeah, like when I was a little kid, I would always like weird out, like rewrite the lyrics to songs and, uh, either like insert my favorite swear words that my parents didn't know I knew. Or, um, I remember when I was like 13, I rewrote Puff the Magic Dragon to be like even more blatantly about drugs to impress nice. my kids, at su- the kids at summer camp. It nice. worked. They thought it was great. You know, so, it's like yeah. all the all the drugs I know the names of. How can I smush them into this into this song that's clearly probably about drugs? Um, yeah, uh, and then fast forward to when I was like sixteen, my buddy Lawrence Epps shouts out Lawrence Epps went to school with him from kindergarten, or actually first grade to uh, to twelfth grade. Hit me up like after school, was like, dude, did you know you can make beats on a computer? And I was like, wait, what? And so we went over to his house and his dad's Wait, basement. you can? It <laughs> turns out, bro. What? I don't know about this Wild. shit in 2001. Damn. But um, he's like, yo, man, we can make beats. So we go over to his house. He has this wonderfully bootleg setup where he has the demo version of FL Studio, or which back then was just called Fruity Loops 2. And, um, and so it was like the full program, but you just couldn't save your session files. So he had a workaround. So we'd make all the loops in fl and solo them and bounce out each loop one at a time basically doing track outs four bar track outs and then he had acid music and we pull in uh, acid music 2.0 we would pull in the loops into acid and do the arrangement in there it's like phase one in fl demo phase two in acid we didn't know about any of the further phases at that i mean that's a good workflow though for 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 going from nothing in a, a demo version of fruity loops to like being able to export and recompile in another program that's surprisingly high level for high schoolers yeah i mean that's just the, that's yeah shout out to lawrence that's the way he uh shout out, shout out lawrence l train or l boogie as he was known he, still make music? he does not now he uh he actually works with kids at a ymca or at least that's the last um career of his that i remember for sure hearing about either way shouts out to him he's a super dope yeah, dude super cool guy and uh, he was actually in a touring like r&b group for a hot minute Sick. i was like on tour through the south they were called embassy which when i asked him he admitted yes was a cross between immature and jodeci their two favorite bands mm. and nice. uh yeah shouts to him but then like um then my buddies uh pigman and reed like wrote a rap song pigment wrote a rap song to the second beat i ever made when i've had maybe like 10 beats that i had ever made and i was like shit man if he can write a rhyme i can write a rhyme and so i started writing rhymes mm. uh to my beats and to other people's beats and the first one i remember i still remember it y'all remember that video game mad tricks with johnny mosley like the skier what was it on it was playstation yes game. yeah he was like it was like a ski tricks video game Johnny Mosley was like one of those like Olympic skiers that did like the the that thing with the freestyle with the moguls and the jumps and then you land in the moguls and he had his signature trick the dinner roll and I was thinking about that video game and I wrote I got mad tricks like Johnny Mosley with a dinner roll the only crowd you rock could be cra- classified as mineral <laughs> and I thought that shit was lit so I wrote wow, it down yeah, that's, this is my first some... rhyme I ever wrote down that was original and not a, a weird owl parody 
It's actually <laughs> not the worst thing I've heard. That's actually pretty solid. Yeah, I know, I mean, right? I ain't even mad at it. It's um, amazing that you remember it. Still. I mean, you know, it's yeah, the first, the first one. It just got some some yeah. things just get embedded in your brain. Just don't leave. There's a, most <laughs> of my other raps I've ever written down. I forgot, but you know that one right there. I've forgotten whole yeah. songs that all went together, but like. That first you get one. dementia one day, you're just rocking back and forth. You just remember the one bar over and over again. Like, Grandpa's just been in the corner just reciting his first bar for days. Oh, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds like how my brain will spin its last bit of its hard drive down. I used to have to click notes into the computer before the brain transfer software. You had no idea. Shut up about your MIDI keyboard, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking daw. Piece of shit. <laughs> um, but, yeah. But yeah, you were talking about uh, FL and Sony Acid and moving between those two. Yeah. I think started that with production. And then uh, my my uh, grandma passed and I uh, inherited uh, the, um, the Casio, the, the bigger Casio keyboard. Started sampling in its you know, thin horn samples and stuff and trying to learn how to play on beat so that it, cause you know, didn't have, I just like had a aux cable plugged into the back of my computer, you know, just into like the crappy sound card, <laughs> like just having a blast in acid music. Um, and then, uh, in senior year of high school, uh, me and my buddy Kells were making beats like this and we started both rapping together. And then, um, one of our classmates, dude named Gabe Carp, uh, taught us Reason, and he got we like the three of us started a beat making class my my senior year that ran for a total of one semester, but it was it was in the video lab, and so I had like video lab before lunch and then um and then lunch and then beat making lab in the exact same room. So basically, it was just an excuse to sit there for three hours and and make beats and write rhymes. Uh, and Amazing. we ended up doing our whole like senior project. We made it, we made a, like, I think we made like put out eight tracks of the album that would eventually have 11 that nobody ever heard, but except for, you know, the few of those songs that we played on, uh, on the listening mm. to our earliest roasting, our earliest yes. tracks. <laughs> that was a good time. Is that but the it, one that had the secret track? Oh yeah. That had the oh, secret wow. track. Yeah. Wow. And uh, fun fact, uh, Gabe Carp was actually his big brother. His name is Budo, and Budo uh, was heavily, uh, heavily produced uh, Macklemore's first album. Like, like mm. probably half of the tracks on Macklemore's 2005 album. Like before, you know, he ever even met Ryan Lewis, um, and that album actually did really well and like kind of put him into like the national underground spotlight where he was touring all over the place and. So I was like, I really looked up to that dude. He was already like making beats for people around the town. And, you know, he, uh, he was, he like came in a couple of times and showed us how to work, uh, reason better, showed us how to work pro tools. So I learned reason and pro tools then. And then that was my new flow and still using acid music. And, uh, yeah. And then I went off to college and, uh, me and Kels did a second album, uh, called, uh, word em up. <laughs> We were the wordsmiths. That was good times. Mm. A lot of my, uh, my, yes. my rap started getting really political about then. Uh, a lot of, a lot, it was like the, the Bush carry election, the Iraq war mm. and post nine 11 times. And I was like super deep into like, you know, 
hating on hating on you know the war machine and all sorts of all sorts of stuff you know going in on on all sorts of deep concepts and as you do in college as you do right perfect thing Mm -hmm. to do when you're like 19 and 20 years old um and then right after we put that album out we also didn't sell that to anybody because literally like the week we finished that shit uh, i moved to spain for a year and that was good times i i worked a lot uh in Spain, decided my my solo rap name was El Agua, which I ran with for a few years. That was good times, and uh, yeah, um, got some flamenco guitar lessons out there, which was pretty cool. And uh, that That's was just dope. a blast of a year. It was mostly drinking, though, mostly like a <laughs> shit ton of drinking because I was like twenty and twenty one when I was out there. You know, mm. best time ever to really test the limits of a liver and kidneys. Um, glad glad i got that out of my system back then so i don't have to do it now good god Mm. uh but yeah (laughs) that was a really fun year um got influenced by a lot of like a lot of spanish music a lot of really cool bands like los delincuentes las niñas ofunquillo like bands that i still really dig to this day and, and go back and bump every once in a while um and you know came back by the time i came back and it was like senior year of college and my guy kells who i'd put out two albums with was realizing like his you know his interest didn't really lie and and really focus on music anymore so i kept focusing on the the solo thing and um it was about oh nine i was like trying to i was like booking my first shows and playing around seattle and bellingham a little bit and uh and people were like confused by my name, El Agua. You know, I tried a couple of different spellings with like a dash, with like a period and a space. Like people were still not getting it. Called me El Aqua and La Guagua and Lagua and Lagua. <laughs> and just like nobody really getting it. You know, mm. misspelling it on, on the, on the uh, posters. And I was talking to a dude oh, who was trying to be my booking agent. We never ended up like signing any paperwork or anything, but he was like, man, I think maybe f- consider a name change. And I was like, hmm. And he's like, why don't you just go by your real name? My real name is Lucas Verver. And I was like, you know, like, shouts to my family and all, but like that, it doesn't sound like a stage name any, like, like even less than El Agua does to me. So then they're like, well, what's your middle name? And it was like, Bing Rain. And they're like, Lucas Rain. I was like, nah, Luke Rain. And uh, <laughs> nah, I started, I started Luke Rain. Yeah. It just hit me and it was like, in lights. And I was like, yeah, I'm Luke Rain. And uh, so, yeah, I did that for a while, put out a few albums, put out uh, put out an EP called the Liquid EP that I like, you know, burnt onto a bunch Legendary. of copies and and got uh, got like some good artwork for and, you know, like started passing around as I was doing the, the Liquid LP, which ended up being like 15 tracks um, that I like got for real pressed up on CDs and like. It was like right. It was, it was like 2012, maybe when I put that out. It was like performing more and more around Seattle. Started performing at some of my favorite venues, like Nectar Lounge, which is actually where I met uh, Rip Kinney at a true at an Ill Gates show years later. Those good times. Yeah, it's, I still love that. There's been a lot of magic around Nectar Lounge. In fact, the whole trip I just did to Mexico, I got invited to a show uh, by Yaima, who's a band. They're really good, but I didn't know they existed before I got invited to the show. And then like in the crowd met the lady that organized the trip to Mexico, just super randomly. And huh. she's like, I'm wow. doing this trip to Mexico. And I was like, shit, I think I want to go to Mexico. I'll go to Mexico. <laughs> you know, <went> <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's like awesome, a couple of months man. later, I went to Mexico. It was crazy. 
but uh yeah um so shouts to nectar lounge uh we started like me and my buddy swerve one um who i'm actually going to see perform a dj set on thursday i'm pumped about that um he got like we got like a last minute like booking at nectar lounge because somebody else's tour got canceled or some shit so like oh shit we've got like six days and we got the show come this day we needed somebody to book sunday and they called him and he called me and we put together like a early show barbecue like it's like hey come it's free eat a hot dog listen to some (laughs) hip-hop and we put on a local hip-hop showcase and we got like 70 people out and nectar was like you guys are amazing you should do this every month and so like for about a year we did like that every month and then they started being like all right well if you can do a sunday what can you do a thursday well shit you killed it on thursday how about you get like a friday or a saturday and like bring in a headliner and so i did a few of those had a really good birthday party where i brought in like one below from binary star and uh and ross i am from common market that was a really fun show and got to have my birthday party and had a bunch of people out that was really cracking and um, yeah but then um fast forward to like 2014 back at nectar lounge again I had the first time where I ever didn't promote a show like as hard as I could. And I was like, you know, only like 10 people came out for me. Like the show overall, like really hit, like it really went well, but I clearly brought out the least amount of people. And I was like, Hmm, that doesn't feel right. Like, why did I blow this off? Every other time I've promoted as hard as I could. And this is like the first time I didn't, something's got to change. And my buddies like, uh, Binks, who who I did, who I produced in my prayers for. Soon after that, we'll get back to that. And um, I got Ryan, Ryan Van Hygen were backstage with me. Like, nah, don't worry about it, dude. Like, it's just one one day you'll bounce back. His name like, is Van Hygen. Van Hygen. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that would be sick too. I um, was gonna say, yeah, uh, yeah. Ryan Van Hygen, shouts out to my dude. Um, they're like, yeah, dude, Shut it's out. just going to be like, it's just one run rough show. Like, you're going to be fine, dude. And um, and I was like, nah, something's different. And then like a couple people after me were like the, the little homies at the time. They needed like one more act to get on this show. And I was like, oh, I'd like just met this dude, Macintosh, who's like, you know, he's got this group called Slightly Flagrant, and I listened to some of the music, and it's really good. I bet they'd be a good addition to the show. These dudes hustled, like, 80 pre-sale tickets in a venue that only holds, like, 400 people. And out of, like, you know, out of, like, whatever, seven acts on the bill or eight acts on the bill. And so they got moved from first to, like, right before the headliners. And I watched them perform, and their fans were just losing their minds. They had the whole place rowdy. You know, they, they were, like, really came and brought it. And I'm like, man, if people like this are coming, like, I don't want to be taken up. If I'm not, like, passionate about this, I don't want to be taking up spots on a roster. You know, I used to always get mad because I wanted spots on the roster, and there'd be some, like, lazy-ass rapper who took that spot and then didn't even bring nobody. I don't want to be that guy. And so I was like, something's, something's about to change. I can feel it. And like six days later, I ended up being in my very first iStandard showcase in Seattle. Now I'd already been to a few, like in LA, I'd started traveling to like South by Southwest and, um, ASCAP Expo and found out about iStandard, which was this big, you know, producer nationwide, like producer community that would put on 
like local beat competitions in every, you know, like 40 cities. And then they would have the year end finals where like the top two or three from each city would get invited out to be in the finals. And um, so I'd like gone and watched the finals a couple of times without even participating in a Seattle show. Yeah. Like I showed up there like, Oh, were you in the Seattle show? I was like, there was a Seattle show. Why didn't I hear about this? And, uh, but then I heard about it and I showed up same venue at Nectar Lounge again, six days later. And I came, I didn't come nearly close to winning anything like probably like bottom, bottom of the pack ish in my scores. But I got praise on like, wow, like you got like clearly like you've got good melodies. You've got like good song structure. Like you understand how to make a hip hop beat. And it's like, you got some really cool material. The problem is your engineering. You got to like make it sound like it belongs in a stadium. If you want to hear it played in a stadium, you should focus on learning how to engineer your own stuff. And it was the first time anybody had ever said that. Shouts out to Jay Hatch, president of iStandard for telling me that. And uh, he kind of changed my life right there. I was like, ooh, okay, that's what I'll focus on. I'm going to learn engineering and stop doing hip hop shows. And, um, at the time I had been kind of beat blocked cause I was like only trying to make beats that fit like my next rap project. And so I was like, I'd like kind of try to turn off every faucet, but one little bit of creativity to fit this mold. And because of that, I felt like completely blocked. And as soon as I like dropped that project and started learning to engineer, it was like, well, I should learn to engineer a lot of genres. So I'll make beats in any genre. And then all of a sudden my creativity just like felt like it opened back up. And it was this like really fun, you know, period where, you know, even if it wasn't dope, it didn't matter. It was like, let me try my first dubstep song. Let me try my first house song. Let me try an R&B song. Let me try a pop song. Like just making all sorts of different beats and having a blast with it. And, uh, and really just really having fun. Um, that started to run out after a few years of like watching YouTube tutorials though. Like I was going, you know, I was like going to these beat competitions. I was getting better. I was getting good advice, but it was just like, you know, a couple of times a year getting a little bit of advice, you know, just getting like a couple of minutes worth of advice from these events, which was very good advice from very knowledgeable people. And I got to hear the advice other people got, but like, it's not, you know, it's like mentorship light and it's not really mm -hmm. coaching, you know? Uh, which is why one day when I was like, it was like the end of 2017. So I've been like trying to do my own shit for like three years and getting better, but not fast enough for me. Uh, I was like bummed out and I couldn't sleep. So I started scrolling on Facebook and the third thing down is this green haired dude being like, <laughs> are you a producer? Are you having trouble finishing songs? Do you need a breakthrough in the studio? I'm like, oh my God, you know my soul. <laughs> Turns out that was Ill Gates mm -hmm. advertising his breakthrough workshop, which uh, I took that week and blew my absolute brain wide open with like the concepts he was dropping stuff that's probably really familiar to most of our listeners now you know just like the the brain can only pay attention to two things the subject and the background the singer and the band the lead and the rest of the music right like you only hear two things at a time and really basically it's because you're only paying attention to one of them and everything else melds into like tesco's uh, background there where it's all kind of a fuzzy thing and i'm just paying <laughs> attention to tesco you know 
And so like all that kind of stuff, I took page after page of notes. And then he gave the pitch on like, yo, if you want to learn more, I've got a whole school. I've got tons of teachers and track feedback and this and that. It's a class of 808. Come on down. And so I like weighed my options for like the couple of days that, you know, the special price was up and, uh, and then ended up signing up for, for producer dojo, which of course was an amazing decision and led to so much, so, so much. <laughs> it was, it was great. 2017. You said, yeah. Like, so I signed up, I, I believe it was new year's day, 2018. So talk about remix your life. Damn. Yeah. It's okay. like, on New Year's Day, like, all right, fuck it. I'm paying this money. I'm signing up. I have the money. I can do it. I'm not going to worry about price. I, I've been struggling by myself, and I'm, I just I feel this is clearly the best place. This guy has taught me more in a free two-hour workshop than I've learned in the last three total years of YouTube, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna trust him, which, thank God. Yeah. And then, yeah, hopped in, started going, going for all the... Uh, the mixtapes, I think I hopped in on mixtape number three way back then, the night at the movies tape, and got my got my uh, bad boys Mike Lowry <laughs> scene remix. Got made it onto the mixtape, which was huge for me. Really boosted my confidence, and people really dug that tune. And uh, yeah, moved forward from there. So that was that was like the. I remember a beat that you had on your SoundCloud that had like the Mike Lowry sound like sample. Was that it? Yeah. I remember that was legit. The first song I heard from you and the first song I was like, damn, this is good, dude. Yeah. That was, that was a that fun was, one. That was a fun yeah. one. I took, I took a bunch of just like scenes from the movie and just made a hip hop beat and just like chopped up the words from the movie to the beat. It's really fun. It was catchy. Dude, there's, there's so much to unpack throughout this whole journey. Mm-hmm. But one thing that really stuck out to me that I feel like, uh, is worth diving into a bit deeper is the fact that you were basically like throwing shows and like running a consistent event um, when you were, you know, throwing hip hop shows at the Nectar. And I think that you you probably landed that because of your, you know, ability to 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 bring people there to be reliable and to like, you know, be able to you know, obviously do all of the things that, that go into throwing a show. But I think a lot of people listening to this would probably want to know how you got a, the opportunity to do that, like how that opportunity happened and, and B, what are some things that like you learned or like how to throw your own event successfully? Um, because if you can't, you know, if you can't knock down the door of, of the DJs that are already throwing the night, you might as well start your own night. Right. So, amen. Um, yeah, so I was wondering exactly that for the hottest minute back then, like there was all these cool bills, but you know, I wouldn't hear about them existing until they were already finalized and on a flyer mm-hmm. and, you know, getting promoted on Facebook and I'm like, hear about the show and be like, oh man, I really want to be a part of that, but too late. It's already happening. <clears throat> and the only shows that I would like consistently get on were those like, um, you know, oh yeah, here you pay 60 bucks to be on the show and you get a bunch of tickets and then you can sell them for whatever you can get for them. And if you sell enough of them, you can make your 60 bucks and maybe more back. 
God, that always felt I, I do those always felt so dirty to me. Like so it dirty. didn't it didn't feel good. Nope. It, it felt bad actually. Like definitive definitively felt bad. It and was they were like all the pyramid the worst, scheme. Like promoted shows too. It's yeah. like they're doing no work. They're like, <sighs> Well, we already made our money and paid the venue. So like if you guys, you know, bring people cool for you if you guys make money cool for you, but we're kind of wiping our hands of it at this point, we don't really care. Yeah. Um, and, and, and like, there's no quality thing. control for the, for the music, the art, mm-hmm. like it's literally nah. just like you could pay to be there. And so like, yeah. there, why would anyone come if there's no curation? Exactly. Cause I mean, it's like, you know, it's, I've heard of like, uh, what do they call them in comedy? It's like bringer shows or you gotta like, if you want to be on, you have to show up with this many people who are paying to be there. It's like, hey, look, I brought my six friends. They're going to get a table here. And now can I get up and do my stand-up? It's basically <sighs> that, right? Except, you know, you just pay pay up front. Yeah, mm. you're right. It's not a good look. Uh, they weren't good shows. But at least I got some stage time, got some confidence, you know, got to get over some of my, like, jitters when it was, like, literally just, like, ten people that love me standing there, like, cheering me on. And yeah. no nobody that's gonna like hate me or write a bad review at the end of it, no matter what I do. So like, I, it it was helpful for that. You know, it was like a really mm-hmm. low stakes, and you know, I made a little bit of money on a couple of those shows, so it was cool. Yeah, Which, I think the reason the only reason I really said that is because I think everyone can maybe not has been in that exact situation, but a situation like that where like the opportunity was not the opportunity you wanted, but it was an opportunity. And you're hungry to get up there and play some music. So like you make it work and it's, it's a foot in the door to, to a venue and all of that. So it's like, it's all stepping stones, but man, moving, moving past, moving past that is big. There were trash. There were trash shows for sure. I remember one of them, uh, I had spent like days selling these like shitty $5 tickets. It was at studio seven, which got shut down because they were a terrible venue and they were like violating their liquor laws and it's now that space got turned into like the coolest club in Seattle, Supernova. If you're up here and you like disco music, uh, Supernova is the place to go. They really renovated that place. But back in the day, it was still shitty ass Studio 7. And they had like put together a bill, these shitty promoters, and like showed up and like, oh man, yeah, I got, I sold all these tickets. I sold like 40 something tickets, which is like a big deal to me at five bucks a pop. And I, Finally got got there. I had spent days and days promoting this thing. Had all these people come in. We get there and they're like, okay, so here's the deal. Half those people we said were on the bill never confirmed. So they're not here. The other guy, the only person that did sell a bunch of tickets, just got arrested and is currently in jail. So he's not going to be here. Shouts out to Fatal Luciano. Glad you got out. <laughs> I, I knew him for years after that. I actually hadn't met him at that point, but I've known him for years since then. Uh, yeah, he got it. He got into a little trouble that weekend, and uh, and so he was locked up for a sec. And so it was like they were like, "Okay, you either you all go on right now at door opening, so we can all go home, or the show is canceled." And like literally nobody's there because everybody got told to show up and like. A couple hours and they're like trying to make us go at like 6 p.m and they're like nah and they're like okay cool well then we'll just give us the money we'll hold on to it and then like no, when no. we reschedule no don't do it yeah no it didn't don't do i it. literally found <gasps> 40 people 
over the next few months and gave them their $5 back one at a time. Oh, God. So that's just some of those fun up and comer horror stories of like what sucks. (laughs) But, um, but I I started going out to all the shows, just like showing face, showing up, supporting, meeting people in line, meeting people side stage, like the, the other opening acts, saying hi to the DJ, buying people drinks, like, just started showing up and just like being a scenester, basically just being a part of it just by showing it up at all the bars, all the, especially like the local shows or the shows where there was like local openers and like just being in the front, being the hypest, you know, waving my hands, singing along with the lyrics, getting, you know, getting the crowd going like, and it's like people started to know me little by little in that era. And, uh, and one of those people was DJ Swerve one. And because I had like, you know, hung out with them, bought him some drinks, like showed up at a bunch of his shows and he's having like the Monday night DJ night. I would show up at those, you know, where there was like no cover, $1 beers to get people in the door on a Monday. Like, yeah, $1 Rainier beers, man. <clears throat> Capital Club, uh, bro. It's epic. I'll be there. Yeah, right. I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, it was good times. That was a good. That was a good night. It was uh, Jet Set Mondays, and and Swerve One was one of the main guys behind that. And uh, so I was like, I was showing up at his events, and then he had my number. And when he somebody needed him, Nectar Lounge needed him, and called him, it was like, dude, help us. He hit me because I had built that relationship. And then all of a sudden, after that one show, I had an in with Nectar. And I got my foot in the door there and they're like, oh, do something in a month. And so all of a sudden I had something to offer the artists that I wanted to build relationships with. It was like, hey, let me reach out to all these people that are like at a slightly higher level in the scene than I am that are looking for gigs. And then I can make friends with them by offering them a gig at my show. And then, you know, like started rolling with that and then do that once a month. And then after a while, you know, like I said, Nectar was like, Hey, well, you know, I got, I got, you know, while I was at Nectar it was like, all right, man, I'm going to be cool with the coat girl. I'm going to be cool with the bartenders. I'm going to be cool with the sound people. I'm going to be cool with the booking agents. I'm going to be cool with the owner, you know, just like build all those relationships. I still walk into Nectar and there's still some people that work there from back in the day. They're like, Oh shit, Luke, you want to drink? And I'm like, I don't drink anymore. You got to give me a free ginger beer though. I'm cool with that. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. So, and like, actually that's like both, both times when I opened for ill gates there was because my dude, Mario, who booked back then still books there today. And like, he hit me up. He's like, yo, you know, ill gates, right? You want to open for him? Yes, of course. Yes, of course I do. Thank you so much for thinking of me. I love you. Shouts out to Mario Bada for shout out. Yeah. Amazing. And, uh, yeah. Um, so basically the answer to that question that should pose great question is make actual friends with people in your community, in your scene, like build those relationships, regardless of whether they're immediately giving you something just because you like the people you like what they do support, show up, exchange numbers and social media and, you know, do what you can to do, you know, do what you can to get your experience. Cause one day you're going to get that call to get the next step. And then, because I knew the people at Nectar Lounge and, you know, like all the venues talk to each other, all the booking agents know each other. Somebody called up Mario at Nectar and was like, yo, we need an opener for people under the stairs at Numos. 
And they're like, oh, Luke Rain will bring people. And he'll yeah. show up and not fuck your venue up. He won't wreck the green room or whatever they talk <laughs> about, in the, you know? So I got to open for people under the stairs, which is really cool. I had Numos, which is like another venue in Seattle that's like maybe just a little bigger than Nectar. It's a big one. I mean, people from Seattle would agree that like playing at Numos is like you, you, you put that on your resume. That's yeah. That's no small no small feat. Yeah. Um, and then because I played Numos, then they were like, they had Barboza in the basement of Numos, another smaller version of the venue. Mm. And they're like, oh, hey, you ever want to throw a show at Barboza? Here's the room rental rates and here's the different deals for the different nights of the week. And, you know, and started throwing shows there too. And then, all of, you know, I just got more options and was able to like build my credit inside the scene just by, you know, knowing more and more people, being a good dude, showing up, doing what I said I'd do, bringing people when I said I'd bring people. Until that very last time at Nectar Lounge where I was like, hmm, everything that got me here didn't happen this time. That's a problem. I got to like take a long look in the mirror. And it turns out it's because I was like done performing for a few years. And mm -hmm. uh, it was time to like focus on other things that brought me down other paths that brought me here. And so it's like, that's another thing. Like if you're feeling like something's got to change in your career and like, you feel like you're hitting a brick wall somewhere, maybe it's time to take a hard left and travel down that wall until you find an open free, right. You know, like, <laughs> like, okay, cool. Now I'm yeah. going back in the direction I wanted to go. Just like from over there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, I think what you said about like, you know, being in the scene and showing up to the events and like, you know, getting people familiar with you that way. I think a lot of what's, what's missed in today's day and age where like every, everyone, like every interaction that you make, you know, if you're thinking of it in like a career sense, like I'm trying to advance my position in the local DJ scene. I think a lot of people mess up by like expecting to advance that relationship too quick. Mm -hmm. Like you got to just make friends with people. Yeah. Like with, with expecting nothing, like just showing up and like becoming friends with the people that are doing cool stuff. And inevitably an opportunity, like you said, will present itself. Um, and I think that, you know, if, if you're trying to go that route as you know, that the importance of that can't be understated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One better too, if you can like try to be useful in some way, like, do live sound, bring people like Luke said, you know, take some photos for people that, you know, are lacking on their social media. If you notice they don't have any, just walk around take a couple and send it to them. There's Even a bunch of little do, things right? like, like that you can do just so that people like know that like, Oh, Luke's awesome. If he's around, this night's going to be better for it. So totally, duh, it's yeah. a no brain. Even, even if you're friends, you know, if you don't have any like technical skills, you might not get it, but like, obviously being a likable person's the the best and then if you can contribute somehow you're you're guaranteed an in yeah dude, i like that you said about like um taking photos of people like if they're on stage or whatever i did that um once like my guy grinch opened for warren g and at the end of warren g said he was like yo all local rappers freestylers come up and like they called a bunch of dudes up and uh, one of my dudes, Spaceman, went up. And I didn't really know him that well, but I looked up to him at that time. I, like, met him real quick once or twice. And I, like, took pictures of him. You know, it was, like, 
shitty old phone, but like, you know, for the time it took pictures dude, of a new, a new MySpace profile picture. Exactly. Dude, with right? Warren G on stage. That's right. Hot. Like him, him with him standing next to Warren G with a mic in his hand, click. And then I sent it to, him. I don't remember if it was like a Twitter DM or, you know, what it was in MySpace at that time, but like hit him up and he's like, Oh shit. Thank you so much. I was hoping somebody got this picture, you know? And it's like, it didn't yeah. cost me anything to do that, but like he never, you know, he never forgot who I was after that. Definitely. You know, like every time I saw him, he's like, Oh Luke, my dude, what's up? Really is yeah. the little things, man. Yeah. Those little things. And once like somebody remembers you and associates you positively, then it's like, every time they see you, it's like, Oh shit, you again. Nice. Yeah. Like you said, you know, being useful in whatever way, like if you have a skill that doesn't involve you being in the spotlight, like offer it, you, you know how to fucking do sound or lights or, you know how to like wrap cables or even if you're like just down to like stick around at the end of the night and like pick up some trash and throw it away. And the people at the venue are like, Oh, who's that nice dude? (laughs) You know? Yeah. If you play with bands, drummers always need shit to be moved oh yeah that's a really good in yeah that's real (laughs) so i've definitely helped some drummers take take all their shit off the side stage and load it into a trunk of a car (laughs) yeah hey nice set need a hand yeah and yeah um i wanted to ask you a little bit about kind of your influences throughout and you know we could just touch up touch up on kind of maybe a couple in each time period you started talking uh in the beginning about the uh the raffi guy and the the other tickler uh something like that uh but i'd love to hear where it <laughs> progressed tickle. from there <laughs> tickler. and uh tickler. just kind of hear yeah, like because you started off as a villain. rapper and then <laughs> went more down the production route and i'd love to hear a little bit about kind of if Our you had any influences? prominent eras looking back yeah. like that just kind of oh i heard this artist or i heard this project and it just like shifted 100 100%, 100%, yeah um so nothing but a g thing dropped in 1992 i was seven years old and uh how old seven seven yep yeah i just turned 37 this week what's up 30 years ago i know right and snoop dog who was just on the just on that Super Bowl halftime show, I saw somebody with a meme that was like, oh, Snoop Dogg and Eminem and Dr. Dre, finally a Super Bowl halftime show that's not appealing to middle-aged... Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, funny. Yeah, man. Snoop Dogg went one, a two, a three, into the four. Snoop Doggy Dogg and Dr. Dre is at the dough in 1992. And I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard anybody say. <laughs> I know how to count that high. <laughs> and so does he. And this really relates to me. And uh, yeah, and so like, I went on to like learn all the lyrics to that song, even though I didn't know what most of them meant. And then like uh, Warren G Regulators uh, with Nate Dogg came out the next year. And I memorized all those lyrics and that was my new favorite song and didn't know what most of that shit meant <laughs> but you know i didn't realize it was about shooting people and playing dice in alleyways and uh picking up girls to bang in motels but you know <laughs> eight-year-old luke knew a good song when he heard one it's that michael mcdonald sample just slaps <laughs> uh yeah let's see um salt and pepper big influences i really liked them coming up and uh and then like middle school came around i got really into like tupac notorious big 
Um, that BC Boys Hello Nasty album with Intergalactic, I thought that was super fire with the okay. you know with the little vocoder on Intergalactic Planetary Planetary Intergalactic. That shit was yeah, super yeah. hot to me. Um, and then I had like I got really into Jay Z on the Hard Knock Life album, um, Volume Two. That shit was super hot to me. I got into Eminem heavily on Slim Shady. Uh, really like, you know, just memorizing everybody's lyrics. Like I was like so into memorizing other people's lyrics and rhyme schemes. And like, I didn't think for years to write my own, but like, I was like so into memorizing everybody's lyrics. And like, in retrospect, that clearly helped a ton. It's probably why my, my first bars were bars, <laughs> you know, as opposed to just like, yeah, just cause I had like memorized so many different rhyme schemes and cadences and you know, had like practiced breath control a good bit, just trying to rap along to the radio. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, just like started making like little mix CDs or that Puff Daddy and the Family album with like, uh, uh, with Can't Nobody Take My Pride, Can't Nobody Hold Me Down, Oh No, mm. I Got to Keep On Moving and More Money, More Problems and all that. Like, like those were just such jams to me. Um, like I would like make mixtapes with like that and Aaliyah and, and, you know, genuine and a whole bunch of the other artists of the day that I really liked. Um, and then something really big happened in like ninth grade or something. I lost my whole CD case. It got stolen out of my backpack on the school bus. Yeah. And the only CD I had that was, you know, at all new to me that I cared about. Cause all the other ones were just like in their cases at home. If I didn't care about them. Uh, the only thing I had left was the one that was in my disc man, which was Dr. Dre 2001. So that all of a sudden became an even bigger influence on me than it already was because that album still slaps. Like st- the engineering on that album is still like, still holds up as far as I'm concerned. That was like a, a mind blower at the time. And, uh, and not one of Morty's mind blowers. Cause there's no way I can forget <laughs> it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. And then um, I was in California uh, visiting my grandparents and we went to the mall and my dad knew I'd lost all my CDs. So he was like, Oh, I'll buy you a CD. We're here at the mall. We went to like Sam Goody or whatever music store was there. And I saw this CD that I vaguely recognized because it was in my dude, McKaylin Blue Spruce's car on the way to soccer practice. And, and it had like all these kids, these African kids holding up something, but there was this big sticker on the front over whatever they were holding. That was like the powers that be have censored this artwork because it's too revolutionary and blah, blah, blah. And like, whatever this is, I need this in my life. It turns out that album was let's get free by dead Prez, which had that track is still mm. bigger than hip hop. Uh, yeah. With that crazy yeah. baseline. Dude, oh, that oh, baseline oh, is. Oh, oh. yeah. Still one oh, of the illest shits ever. Right. Dude, that, and so that album like changed my life. Cause they were talking about like, racism and communism and oppression and police brutality they were just like so raw with it on that whole album you know fucking going in on how shitty the education system is in our country and just like that like radicalized my like you know whatever 15 year old 16 year old mind and just like dove into the deep end of like underground rap because of that album and got into the coup got into uh binary star got into so many like living legends and hieroglyphics del the funky homo sapiens souls of mischief like just so many groups that like 
I just went down this rabbit hole and right then Napster came out. So everybody mm. was burning each other's CDs or this crazy shit. I was getting into like Swedish rap from these guys. Loop Troop were huge influences on me. They were kind of, they were like super raw and rugged, like had songs about like shoplifting and about how record labels are terrible for artists and about how fun it is to do graffiti and like <laughs> I got into graffiti around that time, started sneaking out of the house and, you know, with a backpack full of spray cans. I lived in Georgetown, which is like a neighborhood just like full, absolutely full of trains to paint and warehouses and like panel trucks and shit. So what did your tag look like? I had a few. My first one was uh, Barrow, B-E-R-O. I liked it if I did it all lowercase or with an uppercase R, they all had like a hole in the middle and I would like yeah. line them up and like can do different cool ways to like do the holes, like look like they were like a puffy balloon. So it's kind of like a little like triangle, you know, like of like, mm-hmm. or I could like do four O's. Or I could do like eyes and ears. And I was just playing with shit like that. Um, and That's pretty cool. Actually, no, before that, I was, uh, I was, my friend was writing Esco and I was writing Jig. Definitely a straight bite off of, uh, shout out Esco, uh, of, uh, Nas and Jay Z. <laughs> Nas is going by Nasty Nas or Escobar and Jay Z was going mm-hmm. as Jigga. So I was like, oh yeah. And I remember the first place we ever tagged, like the, we, they left the, um, they were like redoing the fence around a golf course and me and my buddies snuck on this golf course late at night and uh and like just tagged a couple of little things in there and then we our friend was like oh shit there's a guard coming and so we like took off running across the fairways and it was all like they had just watered so it was all muddy and i kept slipping and my friends <laughs> were all faster than me because they were in better shape oh, playing soccer and shit i was like so nervous i ended up throwing up right on one of the greens <laughs> and we got back to my friend's house and i was like well that was terrifying but i'm also exhilarated as hell and feel more alive than i've ever felt in my life so i kept sneaking out and doing that shit and after after that first time being terrified and throwing up, uh, it was just more fun than terrifying. Even the times you had to like run away and shit, and like there's definitely a couple times you got like chased by, chased by some guards. And <laughs> I feel like getting chased is just part of doing graffiti. That's just pretty what it much. Is. You're yeah, getting chased. Yeah, the one time we actually got caught by the cops once, um, but it was like the last time I ever went out. Uh, it was like must have been like 16. And left from my dude's house and like painted these big pieces. You know, like when you're coming in I ninety into Seattle and like right before you go in the tunnel, there's like that little like lookout spot right above to the right. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking. Like if you're coming I ninety going westbound. Yeah, westbound. Yeah, yeah, you're coming right into Seattle right as it goes into the hill. There's that little lookout spot up there, and me and Kels just put these fat pieces up there. At that time, I was writing Froze, F R O Z E. And I don't remember what he was writing, but like me and my three friends who I've still got a text thread with to this day. <laughs> nice. We mostly, mostly talk about, uh, talk about send uh, Spotify songs and talk about football. But, um, <laughs> but we ended up uh, writing a bunch of graffiti over there. And then like, we had like one can left and like did some bullshit tag on some wall and somebody called the cops on us. And they, they like, we were like half a block from a homie's house and they, Burr! came up the hill and pulled up on us and we're like oh well got us <laughs> and like, put your hands on the car and i looked at like my hands so i'm just covered in paint so it was my boy kells so we like put our knuckles on the car luckily the only hands <laughs> they looked at were my other homies who just had like a little bit here and there 
And uh, my guy Reed just like fucking pulls the shit out of us. Like, oh, we're so sorry. We we thought it was cool. This is the first time we ever did anything like brilliant. this. We'll go fucking paint brilliant. it over. And oh they're like, okay, we'll let you guys go. Wow. Yeah, it was great. That's they tried amazing. to play good cop, bad cop for a second. They always do. They and always then, do. Like the young dude was the bad cop and he was like really bad at it. He's like, oh, we fucking <laughs> hate it when you fucking guys fucking lie to us. Oh, and I'm just like, biting my, my cheek. I'm like, I should be scared right now, but this is the funniest thing I've ever heard anybody <laughs> oh my do. God. I literally had to bite the inside of my cheek to not laugh at him. Uh, I'm like, we're almost out of this. We're almost out of this. Like, don't fuck yeah, it up yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's so fucking funny. Yeah, but then we went down to take pictures of what we had done, and they didn't even know we did the big part. They only knew we did this little part. So we ended up having to go paint that over a couple of days later. But the big part, we got there like six hours later and somebody had already completely painted it over and it just kind of crushed my soul. I was like, oh, that's the best mm. thing I ever did. And I didn't even get to take a picture of it. Uh, it's walked like down there with heart. like the little like, you know, the zit, 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 little yeah, yeah, Kodak, yeah, the disposables. Kodak disposables. Yeah. yeah. The yellow, yellow and black joints. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Throwback. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. And uh, that kind of killed my will to be a graffiti artist. So shouts to those cops. I guess Fair it worked. Enough. <laughs> not not the them yeah. trying to arrest us the 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 them sending somebody to paint that over before the fucking sun came up that was a bummer yeah but yeah uh yeah musical influences is i think is how we got on that rant yeah um, yeah 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 um musical influences uh yeah let's talk recent recent man i mean like big change was like around 2012 ish i started listening to c89.5 that had a bunch of uh different music on it at the time like zed had just come out disclosure was just getting big skrillex was just coming out with like he had just come out with scary monsters and nice sprites and then um i went to bumbershoot that year and got given both molly in the daytime and then molly and a half a tab of acid at night right before the skrillex show nice and i was like came alive into a sea of love and was like, Oh my God, like hip hop shows are boring. Why am I not going to fucking (laughs) raves? Holy shit. This is incredible. And so I started doing that. Um, (laughs) that sounds like one of those life changing experiences. Skrillex in 2012 on my first candy flip. Yeah. Good times. Uh, yeah, that was a big, that was a big moment. Um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, lately, Man, I've been really getting into like the ecstatic dance type of scene um, out here in Seattle, which is basically just like a sober dance party with no shoes on and could be anywhere. I've, you know, done a bunch at the spot that's basically a yoga studio called Ohm Culture. The spot's great. Um, if anybody in Seattle wants to come to an ecstatic dance, holler at me. I usually go to the ones on Thursdays, sometimes Tuesdays at Ohm Culture. And, uh, and then like, basically though like it could be any kind of music but generally like a lot of them do like no lyrics i like to do lyrics but i just kind of be mindful of like positive vibes or like emo like release your emotions type vibes and like less like gangsta shit or negative shit and usually not like too like too screechy rhythm dubstep like some good wonk is definitely appreciated in that scene but not not too heavy of like machine sounds like so i'm getting more into like organic vibes i've been really digging troy boy lately like i keep mm. hearing songs and be like oh my god of course that's troy boy i always love troy boy like he's got like such a good balance yeah. of like the heavy bass the trap drums and and like sick melodies 
on top of this stuff. Um, and yeah, uh, Weathen has been another one that's been coming up a lot. Super dope. Um, I really liked Marshmallow's last album a ton. It's like, again, just like great melodies over like sick dance grooves. Um, and so like, yeah. And then like for my own style, I've been like looking at like mixing those elements with like really positive, like mantra type lyrics, something like short and sweet that gets stuck in your head. But when it's stuck in your head, it's like doing positive work on your brain. Basically shit. I need stuck in my head that if somebody else (laughs) also listens to it, like I, I got a, I got a chorus that's just, thank you. I have no complaints. Thank you. I have no complaints. Whoa. Whoa. I said, thank you. I have no complaints. Thank you. I have no complaints. Whoa. Just like, yeah, I just want to be more grateful and less complaining in my life. And somebody told me this like little anecdote about like some Buddhist Zen master who's like, no matter what happened, they would just be like, "Mm, thank you. I have no complaints whatsoever. And I was like, oh, that's lit. I started like writing that at the end of my diary, like journal pages. Like I would like gratitude journal about what happened in the day and then just close out with thank you. I have no complaints three times. And then after that, I was like, all of a sudden it had a rhythm and a melody in my head because that's how my brain works. And normally my journal ends with, well, it's just full of all the stuff I'm doing wrong. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's, you know, it's, it's beneficial for that reason as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I feel you. I've definitely had a lot of those journal moments where it was like diving into the, what the fuck is my life even. And those mm-hmm. are very cathartic and helpful. I noticed that those ones happened a lot more when I spent a good amount of time, not journaling. And the longer I would like, I would like read an old journal and be like, oh man, it starts with me, an absolute emotional mess. And then look, I journal almost every day for a month. And at the end of that month, I'm like a pretty balanced human being. And then all of a sudden you turn to the next page and it skips three months. And I'm an absolute wreck again. I'm like, mm, you know what? I think I should keep this journaling thing up more often. Yeah, that is totally fair. I, I'm pretty irregular with, with the journal currently. And uh, I, I, yeah, that for sure. I think if you, if you, if you write all the, you can only write the stuff you're doing wrong so many times, right? And then you eventually, like, you know, make the change and move on to other stuff. That actually is a really good point. Yeah. So You've inspired me to journal tonight. Get on it, I'll man. I actually just got back onto it last night. Like, I was super disciplined about journaling. I had like a morning, like morning pages, like the artist way style journaling that I would do every morning. And I had this gratitude journal that I would do every night. And then I had this other journal that was like any other shit that I felt like I needed to get out. If I, like something cool happened in a meditation or like a dream, or if I learned something that I wanted, I had like a whole nother journal. You know, so I had like multiple journals that I was using for multiple purposes every day. And then I went to Mexico and I think I wrote in my gratitude journal the first night I was out there. And I wrote a total of one time one afternoon in my morning pages journal in the five weeks I was gone and then like didn't get back into it for days. And then last night wrote like four pages in it, just like brain dump about all the stuff that had happened and just like jump on. Oh, and then this leads to that. And then that makes me think of this over here and this mess and that gratitude. And it was very erratic, but very, it felt really good to like kind of make some connections and organize like, yeah, why don't I do this anymore, man? I mean, it was fun mm-hmm. to just like be on the road and like not worry about routines and just like flow a bunch and 
Yeah. Well, okay. So, so speaking of journaling, which obviously sounds like something that is beneficial to you over, over the course of this whole musical journey, um, are there any other things like journaling that you found that, you know, you keep circling back to, as something that helps in the process, regardless of what it is, you know, either writing raps or, or writing beats or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, my mind is coming up with some of the big things I learned in, um, in the dojo, like separating my time into mm. like being honest with like, what can I get done in the amount of time I have to be creative right now, as opposed to just like every time try and dive in and write a song, just be like, nah, I got an hour. I'm just going to like pick some patches and write some melodies and bounce the loops and then have a successful one hour of loop writing for sparks mm. as opposed Definitely. to like trying to cram in, you know, Oh man, like, Oh, I just got my momentum going and now I got to go do my thing or go to sleep or whatever. Um, that's been really big. Um, having, having like good influences around me community has been absolutely huge. Like, I mean, the whole reason this podcast exists was just cause like, Oh fuck, we're stuck in our homes. It's a pandemic. We should have, homies to talk to regularly mm-hmm. and you know just like just even if we had never recorded any of these it would have been so beneficial to like hang out with you guys on a regular basis and just talk about the art we make and share our hardships and share our insights and make jokes and be goofy and laugh about shit that only people who do what we do get you know yeah <laughs> yeah there's definitely something to that like that's because you know it's like i love talking to other friends of mine but we talk about different shit if they don't make music yeah Yeah. and that's beautiful and if they ask specifically once in a while what it's like to make music i'm always happy to nerd out but it's not the same when the person you're talking to has no basis to understand what you're talking about you know like sometimes i like straight up get anxiety when someone starts asking me like too much details about production i'm like there's such a gap here. Like I'm going to, we're going to go into the weeds and you're going to, your eyes are going to go blank in about five seconds. I know that for a fact. Yeah. You're going to regret this real. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to punish you for asking that question. <laughs> yeah, man. I was, I was hanging out the other night. Um, it was actually on my birthday. Um, ended up going to a homie's house for a sauna at the end of the night with a few friends. We're all like hanging out in the sauna. There's like five naked people sweating and then all of a sudden they're like yo we were trying to figure out when we went outside to grab water what's the difference between a melody and a rhythm and like shut up yeah i mean these are like people that love music but have just like never have like heard a couple of terms associated with it and have never attempted to make music in their life and so i was like oh Yeah. yeah i'm happy to talk about that i'm like trying to explain and they're like wait but like isn't that what a rhythm is i'm like nah well the melody like has the tonal differences as like a rhythm is inside of a melody, you know, but like a melody is not necessarily inside of a rhythm, but you could totally have a rhythmic melody (laughs) where the, where the rhythm instruments have their tone and then explain it to what a fundamental frequency versus a harmonic is. I'm all of a sudden I'm rabbit holding past where they're, they're starting to get that stare like, Oh (laughs) And then I was like, and then we got to talk about harmonies. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> uh, yeah, some of you can maybe relate. Yep. But um, 
Yeah. Man. Well, any anything else about your journey worth worth sharing, beneficial to the people? I'd, honestly, I have yeah, really sure quite so much enjoyed this. I've actually learned a few things about you that I haven't heard before, which is pretty yeah, fucking incredible based on the amount of time that we have talked to each other. I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, on the journey, some of my really big things were just being reminded how simple music can be to truly connect with people. Mm. like there's some songs that like weren't even written by the people on the trip. There was just these like simple songs that we just sung acapella. Cause one person knew it and like taught a few friends. And then those few friends sang it the next time for more people and taught it to more people. And then officers like everywhere we go, somebody starts humming this song and then everybody's singing. And it's just like this short, beautiful song. And like, I was singing that song for weeks before I heard the actual version on Spotify. And it was like, oh, right. Well, yeah, they just had like a couple like strings and an acoustic guitar behind it. But it's basically what we were just singing the whole time. And and just having like little chants and little like really simple songs that people can learn like after hearing them. Like, you know, you hear the chorus twice and then it's like in your brain and you, you can't forget it. And like those like simple things, like I've definitely noticed it reminded me like how deep I've gotten into like the subtleties of production and engineering, which are very important if you've got a dope song idea, but like remember to like step back and just like spending a month, just like if I have a song idea to share, all I can do is just like hum the lyric and clap my hands, you know, just like sing that shit acapella with somebody. And maybe somebody has got a guitar and knows how to like Mm -hmm. throw chords down with me. But like, if not, it doesn't matter. Just like people are just singing along. And and that's so beautiful and connective and like remembering mm. like that's that part is music that's the part that's yeah. the song that part that connects that part that's memorable that somebody even if they don't know the difference between a melody and a rhythm can like sing that to their friend and be like yo this song is lit i want to teach it to you and is like remembering that 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 that's the part to focus on first and then once you have that part yeah for sure like produce it however you feel like it but don't get so caught up in the production part that you're forgetting about the song part isn't it so crazy yeah. when you reconnect with that after a while like i feel like i've had phases throughout my journey where i've just focused so hard on the production let's say or the music theory whatever and i kind of forget that that is what it's all about is that raw feeling that unexplainable part the part that can't be theorized or put into words or you know and and i don't know i just wanted to kind of re-emphasize that in case anybody else is feeling that because i've definitely gone through a couple phases like i said where i was just stuck and really disconnected from that feeling and it made it made music another stress in my life rather than the cathartic release that it actually is. Mm-hmm. And, and like just getting back in touch with connecting with people has also made me want to write simpler music. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. More understandable music. Like I really see the power in that. Whereas like 10 years ago, I'd be like, ugh, it's understandable. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's not really music unless it confuses almost everyone. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just remember like the simplicity, the connectiveness that just like a simple rhythm and a melody with a lyric that makes you remember it. Like just that mm-hmm. part. And then like you can layer on that chords. They can be 
basic ass chords. Most songs are written from really basic chords, and that's beautiful. Because then more people can play that shit. You know? Plus those like convey a lot of emotion. You know, like think about like how many dope ass rock songs are just like, you know, one five power chords. Or like, you know, how many pop songs are just like the same few like bar chord guitar chords that just like recycled in different orders or like with a capo up the neck a little bit. Like, you know, like the, those YouTube videos of compilations where a person just keeps jamming the same four chords and switching the lyrics on top. And it's like, oh, this is mm-hmm. half of all pop songs. <laughs> it's like, man, it's like, that's not something to be hated. That's something to be celebrated and used. It's a tool. Like it's a tool that you can freely use uh, free of copyright protection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, um, Certain things I was watching a video like the origins of the word okay, for example, like how that came to be and like how it became more adopted as a slang and like now it's just everyday vocabulary. And, and then you look at how like shows up okay, yeah, 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 <laughs> takes it to a whole other level. God, that was um, 20 years ago, Jesus Christ, <laughs> a historic moment, <sighs> but but you know, certain things catch on because they. like not relate but they connect with a large enough amount of people and so you say it for the connectedness aspect like you like i'd be willing to bet at least half the people in this discord not even chat at least half the people that's a very conservative guess probably say lit or have said swag or some other slang they've used ironically in the beginning and it's like once that something catches on enough, it's kind of like you could almost see it as a tool when you like, if you really hate this, right? If, if this is like the idea is whack to you, just see it as a tool. That's like a guaranteed connection with people. Like back when I was starting my DJing, I wasn't even really into Drake, for example, but I knew if I dropped it at the club, there's a harder, there's a bigger chance that people will know it so it'll go off you know yeah so in that Mm -hmm. sense it's like a point of connection so yeah that's you know one way to think of it is just like it's a it's a way to be able to connect with people it's something that's been widely adopted and you'll be able to like tune everybody into the same moment like when everybody's in the same moment that's the most powerful feeling but you can't do that if if people are like trying to comprehend what's going on or not on the same page or you know yeah, I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about pop music and pop culture in general, right? It's like that so many people, even if that wasn't like your style of music or whatever, like so many people know that shit. So if you like, it doesn't matter if you were into like pop punk, if somebody drops like a Blink-182 remix, like everybody's like, oh shit, I know this one, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. or whatever it is, you know, if it's, I was so into Snoop Dogg. So if somebody did a Snoop Dogg remix, like, holy shit, like you got me, but everybody else knows who Snoop Dogg is. Even if you hadn't heard that song, you know, his voice, you know, like, oh shit, Snoop Dogg, right? Like pop music is so powerful for that. And having those connective moments, I think is like you said, it's like the connection of music is so important. It's like the real deep connectivity mm-hmm. that, that binds us all, whether it's just like, the way that melody conveys an emotion that we all feel, the way that lyric all reminds us of something or cues us into something, uh, makes us see the same visual in the metaphor or 
or the way those chords remind us of that thing from 30 years ago that everybody knows because their mom played it back in the day, you know, like whatever it Mm -hmm. is, like those connective moments of music or what it's all about, right? It's not about dividing us into these subgenres. It's not about, you know, being so complicated that only super deep music nerds can understand the music. And, you know, if that's what you want to make, rock on. Like, I'm not going to stop you, but I'm probably not going to listen either. <laughs> Evan will stop you single-handedly. <laughs> Fly to where you're at. <laughs> yeah. Snowmobile Pick over. your laptop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This isn't heady enough. <laughs> Try you again. You will come with this mountain bike. <laughs> you will be in trouble. Just pop a wheelie. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. fucking run through, your, run through your studio on a snowmobile. <laughs> <laughs> there's not even snow here i don't understand <laughs> you broke yeah, the contract yeah. you pay <laughs> it's like uh isn't it that one dude from the incredibles like he can make just like a trail of ice wherever he goes yeah Frozone or whatever Frozone. yeah oh that'll be like you yeah. just make a tra- your snowmobile just yeah. makes a trail of snow yeah you'll be in like california yeah like pow zone though because you don't really want to ride on ice <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Sounds tight, though. Man, realizing I like skipped a whole chunk of my origin story, like a whole chunk in the middle there. <laughs> like, oh, it turns out at some point it became Trap Jesus and then yes. also became Luke Rain again. Well, let's, I've let's talked uh, about touch that, on though. that. I've talked about that, so I can run through it pretty quick. But yeah, like, um, at an I standard beat battle in 2016, I was in LA and I had grown my hair to like, I don't know, like chin length maybe by then. And my beard had finally like connected. So I was letting the whole beard go instead of just the goatee and the sideburns. I finally connected that middle piece on the cheeks. And, uh, I ended up like, it wasn't even really a trap beat, but it was like, it had trap hats in it. And I won the first round of the battle and like the third person that gave me a high five, like grabbed my hand and stared in my eyes. And was like, you're like trap Jesus. <laughs> and enough people around that heard it and laughed. And so I like took a selfie and was like, I won my beat battle round. And somebody just said, I look like trap Jesus. What do y'all think? And then enough people saw that to where the next day they introduced me at the beat battle as trap Jesus, <laughs> AKA Luke Rain. And that was Jay Hatch again, the same guy that told me to engineer my own shit a couple years years earlier. Um, Mm. And and yeah, I guess that had worked well enough to get me third place. I tied for third place in a Seattle competition. So I was invited to the year-end competition the year before that, got smacked in the first round. The next year, won the first round, got smacked in the second round by this dude from France who kicked ass. His mixes were so good compared to mine. Um, but then, yeah, and I was just like, started going by Trap Jesus for a few years, got my Instagram as what would Trap Jesus do, and like kind of kicked myself for not just transferring all my Luke Rain profiles at the time uh, to Trap Jesus profiles because they all had followers and I had to start from scratch with Trap Jesus. And then retroactively was really pumped I didn't do that when a few years later, it was like 2019. Um, I'd just been going by Trap Jesus. It started at the dojo, started really diving into more EDM genres. And I was at another thing, another beat showcase in LA, another iStandard event at uh, the ASCAP Expo. And the judges were like all hip hop judges, like dude that worked in the urban department at Atlantic Records, the head of like hip hop and R&B at ASCAP. 
and this guy um who is like a producer for like a bunch of uh like puff daddy records and stuff and they all saw trap jesus on the list got excited for trap beats and then i played like a dubstep tune and a future bass song and uh you know like very much not not uh you know at all not, not at trap. all trap music and they were like that was good and all but what the fuck dude you lied to us <laughs> we're so confused and they're like it sparked this like 15 minute everybody else got like three minutes of commentary but i went last and they just start like a 15 minute talk about branding off my name and said my name in front of a room of my peers a bunch of times, which is great. Just tons of free advertising. And a bunch of people kept coming up to me the whole rest of the week and like, oh, man, I thought your music was good. And I was like, yeah, so did they. But they said they were confused by my name. Well, I like your name, but I also like your music. I guess it wasn't trap. I don't know. And then the next day I show Ill Gates my shit. I was at his studio in L.A., showed him the same songs. He's like, these are good and all, but where's the trap? Where's the Jesus? <laughs> and then it hit me like, oh, what if these were Luke Rain songs? I have this whole other set of profiles just waiting to be used. It's like, yeah, that works. Release it as Luke Rain. Uh, and right after that, Katanas came out. My first single on the Dojo label. My Classic. First, my first tune as Luke Rain in the new era of being a producer instead of a rapper. And uh, yeah, shouts out to this guy, Rip Kenny, because all of the drop lead sounds yeah, oh, yeah, that's that right. are from the Get Dead bass pack. You, I think that's I a, heard of that guy. That's yeah, a classic go, go tune. get that Get Dead bass pack. That shit's hot. Go listen to Katana's. That's a, that's a jam. Yeah, yeah man. for real. I remember first time I heard that track. Yeah, Sheesh. man. I'll make that the song of the week this week. Yeah, Katana's. It's only right. <laughs> Word to your mama. We in the dojo swinging big katanas. <laughs> I just need to know when can I buy a Lucrain branded katana. Oh, man, I I feel like I'm going to get sued if I do that shit. Somebody's going to get cut. (laughs) 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 That would be sick, though. Like Liquid Swords, like the Jizza. Shouts out to Wu-Tang for also being a big-ass influence on me. But yeah, um, and then, uh, yeah, that's pretty much up to date. I started this sweet podcast with my homies in 2020, and... uh, yeah, um, I'm also just decided the other week I'm going to launch like a whole program about uh, how to unlock your creativity and live a more creative life using all the tools that I have used. It's going to be called Create Your Life. Ooh, I've been be seeing fun. your posts about that. It's very exciting. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, pumped about that. Uh, yeah, my friend was encouraging me uh, to, to start some sort of a coaching program. And I was like, well what could it be? Would it be just for this specific niche or that specific niche, all these different things I do. And then I realize, Oh, like I have skills that like most of my, <laughs> like probably over half of my personal lessons I do for the dojo are more about like helping people set up their life in a way that's better suited to their creativity than any one specific skill. And it like hit me like, Oh, you know what? I've done a lot of things and they've all been helped by these, these principles that I live by. So yeah. So, yeah. More coming Ooh. on that soon. Maybe, Sick. possibly even in the sponsorship section of this episode. Never know. Ooh. We should definitely even just do an episode going in on that. Let's yeah. just talk on those kind of topics. Amen. That's a great idea. All right. Hell Let's yeah. That on well, man. Well, what a awesome episode today. A lot of insight. And like Evan said, a couple things in there that, you know, 
even I've learned about you today, which is uh, which is fun. Yeah, which is nice. Um, looking forward to doing one for Evan as well and Ooh. diving a little deeper into your origin story. I'm, I'm looking forward to yours. Mine, right? mine's boring. Yeah, we realized we got to like 100 episodes and we've never given our own superhero origin stories. It's time. I don't even know these guys. Who would the fuck <laughs> just learned their you? names last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, humans. Well, yeah, much love. Peace out. And Thanks also, for tuning in. Peace call and response. Thanks for coming. Woo. Bye. Love how we're just Bye. filling in the gaps there. Bye. <laughs> Utilize call and response. What were we just doing? I like it. All right, humans. Thank you so much for being here with us. Truly appreciate you. 101 episodes deep. And thanks for listening to my superhero origin story this time. Appreciate you. If y'all got any more questions you want to have answered on an episode, make sure you hop on the comment section or our social medias at the Human Music Podcast or at Human Music Pod on Twitter and let us know what your question is. We'd be happy to dive into your questions in year three of our podcast holy moly (laughs) it's really gone over two years uh now uh you support our sponsors dojo tv free producer live stream classes from the dojo senseis tesco's patreon where you can get access to his discord track feedback private lessons and more the weekly download where you can learn from Ill Gates and his private weekly group lessons and get access to over 250 more episodes in the archive for just 20 bucks a month. And guest practices where you can learn from the best engineer we know, Seth Drake, at the Approach Institute. First class is free. Go get it. You're listening to the song of the week behind me. That's my song, Luke Rain's Katanas. We in the dojo swing of big katanas. You know it. Now, you know, the next couple episodes are going to be interviews with Tesco and Rip Kenny. So make sure you tune in and make sure you learn about what my friends did to become the awesome producers they are today. Till next week, humans. Peace. Peace among worlds.